This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to another, well, actually last episode of the way. This is just episode 581. It's not even that fucking special. I mean, let's, I mean, when you're this old, every episode's yeah, a landmark. Let's not get all hoity-toity about it, folks. But it is the Twitter Nerd Comic Book Podcast, and my name is Matt Bond. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. This week, we've got a pile of new comics to review from Wednesday, July 15th. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, Greg Rucka's Old Guard made the jump to Netflix, so it's time for another edition of Nerd at the Movies. But before we volunteer to have Charlize Theron cut off our heads because she looks so damn good doing it, it is review time in this here ziggurat, folks. This week, we've got everything from Snake Eyes with No Feet to the return of Deep Space Nine comics and a first appearance, question mark, of a new Venom baddie. I don't think it's his first appearance. It's his first full Matt, appearance. Meh. Matt, why don't you start us off? Speaking of Venom baddies, let's start off with Venom number 26 from Marvel. Your creative team is Donnie Cates. And on art, you have Ebon Coelho and Juan Gedeon. They're two names I do not recognize, but the art in this book was exceptionally amazing. It looked Ebon, so Ebon good. Ebon Coelho has been doing the the issues that Ryan Stegman has not. So he's been oh, on the was book he for doing fill in? Okay, I didn't I didn't recognize the name. He's amazing, by the way. Eddie Brock has defeated Carnage, and now it's time to figure out what's going on with his son's powers. And that's right, Marvel let Venom have a kid before Peter Parker, which is shameful to say the least. <laughs> But I have to say, I really like Eddie as a dad, even though he was part of several Venom's murders back in the day. He's a pretty good father figure. And a character named Virus shows up in armor, painted like Venom, with a goblin glider. Now, he has been teased, but as with all these, this is his first full appearance. But it looked like, it sounded like Eddie knew him. No, he has no idea. He says, who the hell are you? What is that, a goblin glider? He doesn't know anything about him. I thought Eddie was the one that called called out his name. No. Oh, all right. No, he Maybe yells. I read his, that wrong. I think I believe he yells his name. This is obviously building. <laughs> That's what I do yeah. when I burst into a room. Joe like, Patrick. Joe Patrick. Like Joe, yeah, shut like up. That. We know. Okay. <laughs> this is obviously building to the coming Black King storyline, but Kate's has a major reveal in this issue. Although Joe Patrick tells me it's not that major. It's it's at least two years old, maybe three. Okay, well, it freaked me out. And You're just not paying attention. Again, Coelho and Gideon's art is amazing. This is a buy it. And quite honestly, if Donny Cates wrote Squirrel Girl Mary's Speedball, I would read that and love it too. So he's got me. Okay, uh, I was... I was half right. It's it's Eddie's. It's the symbiote that shouts out the name virus. Oh, so okay. the Venom symbiote knew who this guy was. Right. The Venom Venom seems to recognize him. Eddie does not. So he knew him from somewhere. I just am not up to date on no everything. No clue. Venom. No clue. But virus is here. 
virus is here, and go. he's riding a janky goblin glider. He's no King Robin. I'll say that. <laughs> oh, boy, but who is, really? God, I read that comic. Man. and Come on, I we're talking just, about Venom. Let's stay on target here. <laughs> I read that comic yesterday, and I was so mad. I, I wasn't even mad. So, yeah, I really liked this. I'm behind on the Venom main series, but I did really like Absolute Carnage. Uh, I thought this was great. I, I think the art was really good. At least the Ivan Coelho parts were really good. Uh, the other guy, he's good as well. I just, I thought Coelho is a much stronger artist. Definitely. Um, but yeah, I, I like this a lot. Like, it's clear that Donny Cates has a, has a very long-term plan in mind for Venom, which is a wild thing. And that Marvel's letting him do it is just kind of crazy to me, but <laughs> I'm on board for it. I, I'm giving it a buy it. My first review is of Empire, number one from Marvel. For what feels like the third month in a row, the Kree Scroll Empire has converged upon Earth's moon to destroy their immortal enemies, and only the Avengers and the Fantastic Four stand in their way. I mean, maybe it just took the ship a lot longer than we thought. Like, yeah, it's a really sure. slow-moving fleet. <laughs> right. Uh, for the first issue of a major summer event, I was actually a little surprised at how dull this was. Uh, the first half is devoted almost entirely to diplomatic talks between the Avengers, the FF, and a couple of alien races hell-bent on destroying each other. It's not at all bad, but I can't say it's exciting either. Uh, eventually, the action does kick in, and there's a twist that everyone should probably have seen coming from a mile away. I enjoyed the art by Valerio Skeety, but the story from Dan Slott and Al Ewing moves so slowly that I'm hesitant to get invested in an event that has doubled in length since it was first announced. Like, I'm not kidding. That list of tie-ins at the end is daunting. It's huge. Uh, I'm in for now, but I'm giving Empire number one a skim it because this for, as, for as much as I enjoyed the, uh, the prelude issues, I thought this was kind of boring. This is like the exact opposite of what we normally bitch about for these you know, events where like there's four preludes and nothing happens in the prelude, but then right. the first issue, everything happened. This was the exact opposite. And it was so strange because we both really enjoyed the Avengers and the fantastic four prelude. And then it's like, okay, let's slam on the brakes on this thing and get not rolling. <laughs> right. You know, I don't know. I'm not going to say it was bad because the no. book looked beautiful. Skeety has really come into his pencils and they look amazing. And the story is good. And maybe we're just not used to letting, you know, seeing Marvel let these stories breathe a little bit. I don't know, but it was not the action pack number one I was expecting. I'm giving it a buy it because I'm still on board and I think the story is going to be fun. I think that if you pick this issue up without reading the preludes, you'd be you would not be convinced to keep going. There is really no reason why those preludes shouldn't have been issues one and two. There really isn't. Or, or just make all three of them one extra large issue. Sure. So we can roll right into this or something. Yeah. But right. I, I don't know. It's, I think there was a lot of behind the scene stuff going on with empire and Marvel has definitely inflated it into a much larger event than it was originally planned to be. Yeah, I like <laughs> it's definitely why bigger. did they why did they add so many installments? I don't I, get it, especially right now when we're all coming back to the comic shop and coming back to new comics. It, it's like 
you got to be careful. Look what happened to Demi Lovato. She got off drugs for a while, <laughs> had a party, went nuts, and boom, ended up in the hospital, almost died. You know, you got to take it slow, Marvel. Give them a little it, bit at a time. You're going to kill us here. Like, if you're going to make the decision to not put out some comics, you, you're going to say like, okay, well, we're going to make uh, Jane Foster Valkyrie digital only. We're going to not print the last couple issues of Hawkeye. But they rolled back on all like, that. They're getting printed now. No, I understand that, but like that was just recently, right? So, like they made the decision to scale back on on the variety to put out more of this, and I don't get it. Yeah. My next review, because you demanded it, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine is back with a new miniseries called "Too Long a Sacrifice." Number one. Scott and David Tipton return to write here. They are two of my favorite Star Trek comic writers. And Greg Scott is on art. A terrorist cell detonates a bomb in a cafe on Deep Space Nine, and everyone is a suspect. Those Tipton boys are back at it again, and this time writing the first Deep Space Nine comic in more than a decade. I didn't even know yeah, that. It's true. The story is pitch perfect, left me wanting to rewatch Deep Space Nine for a third time constable odo is one of my favorite trek characters and they really highlight him here in this very space noir kind of detective story my only problem with the issue here is the art greg scott is not a bad artist he did some work for the edgar Allan poe snifter of terror book over at ahoy he is a talented guy but his photo referenced noir style does not work in a star trek comic it just threw me off the whole time there was too much referencing of the actual actors as well and it, it just i couldn't handle it i'm giving it a skim it because the story was great but i feel like this just falls down with the art see now i had not read it when you texted me about this last night uh, i looked at it today and i actually thought that the art was great um i i agree that he works maybe a little too hard on the reference on the uh, likenesses yeah. But I mean, it's a noir. It's a crime story. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a noir crime story. So why not get a noir crime artist? Like I understand that it takes place on a space station with aliens, but for me, it did not feel out of place. Uh, I'm giving this a buy it. I really liked it. Um, it is. It's definitely not traditional. Uh, if you're if you're thinking of Star Trek sci-fi art, it's not traditional. But it's also not a traditional sci-fi. Star Trek story. I agree with that. Next up for me is Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 12 from DC. The best Superman spinoff of the year comes to a close with this issue as the absurdly complex plot against Jimmy Olsen's life is finally exposed. This series was a wonderful ride from start to finish. Even though I could see where the story was headed in the final pages, I couldn't help but get emotional at the ending. This comic was everything I wanted it to be and more. And I'm both sad it's over and glad that Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber were able to tell their complete story without interference. Jimmy Olsen is the best, best friend in comics, and his final issue gets a huge buy it from me. I have not finished Jimmy Olsen yet. I'm six issues behind. I love the story. I'm going to read these. These, these creative team obviously had a blast doing this, and I hope we can look forward to more Matt Fraction at DC, quite honestly. Yeah, it was a it was a breath of fresh air compared to some of the shit DC's pulling. This yeah, was definitely magical, magical. 
Next up, I have got It Eats What Feeds It, number one from Scout Comics, and they are not going to win any awards for that title. What a name. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Max Hoven and Aaron Crow are your writers with art by Gabriel Eumazark. Or Eumazark. Sorry. Eumazark. I'm saying that yeah. wrong. I'm going to go with Eumazark. A 20-something college dropout applies for a handyman position at a strange historic manor in Louisiana. The property owner is a drop-dead gorgeous woman in a red dress with dark secrets. Usamark does a great job creating a spooky feel for the book with misty panels and dark shadowy rooms, but the script was a little sparse. There's definitely a mystery brewing here for sure. The main character makes fun of it a little bit in the opening scene where he's like, no way. We go in there. We're getting killed. Not doing this. And his car won't start. And he's like, fuck it. We're doing this. <laughs> but this, like I said, it was just a little too sparse. There's a mystery brewing here for sure, but I needed a little more to hook me. Obviously, the woman in red is part of said mystery, but a little more characterization for the handyman may have helped. Maybe some internal dialogue since the script was so sparse. There is a fun mystery here that looks to be leaning toward horror, and I'm going to read some more, but I can only really give this a skin. Yeah, you know, I, I actually really loved the art, uh, except... Uh, let me let me clarify. I thought that the atmospheric effect of the art was great. Right. But then, like, the super cartoony angular manga faces. Kind of, yeah. Was a mismatch. Yeah, it uh, almost to it didn't. To the tone of the artwork. It didn't work with the spooky feel. I'll, I'll agree right. with that. So, like, clearly, uh, Yumazark is extremely talented. Uh, and so I thought that the book did look great. Uh, it, But the story... <laughs> The story takes so many very easy, logical leaps to move forward that yeah. it's like, all right, this guy clearly understands that there's something wrong in this house. He goes in anyway. Uh, he stumbles up upon not one, not two, possibly three areas of the house where something very, very wrong has gone on. <laughs> yeah. uh, he wanders into he wanders into the kitchen. That can only be described as an abattoir. It is like, and he's like, oh, you want me to clean up? No big deal. I'll clean up. And the lady in red puts her finger in his mouth and leads him away yeah. at one point. <laughs> yeah, like a fish. Uh, so like there's, there are, there are parts of the storytelling where it's just like, come on guys. But the idea of it was solid. Like I loved the concept uh, it's just that the actual execution of the of the storytelling was just not all there for me. I'm giving it a skim it as well because despite all that, I really did enjoy reading it. I don't think you're taking into account how hot this chick is. So you know she is very hot. Because I'd be like, well, I mean, if someone's going to kill me, it may as well be you. I guess. Right. Oh, and, like she says, <laughs> I don't want like, an uggo cutting me up. You know. I mean, come on. <laughs> She says from minute one that she's dying and the guy's like, all right, I'm totally going to get laid tonight. Yeah, it's like, oh, cool. You have a crippling disease. I want to hit that, you know. <laughs> Is it communicable? You know, no? All right. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I know, yeah. Next up for me is The Old Guard, colon, Force Multiplied, number five from Image Comics. This is the final issue of the second volume of Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez's The Old Guard, which I have been obsessed with since I started mainlining it in order to catch up in time for the movie adaptation, which we will be talking about very soon. 
Fans of the film will find a lot of stuff in here that sets up the inevitable sequel. Comic fans will find a really tight action story with incredibly deep lore and amazing art. I am really excited to see the next final, maybe, question mark, chapter of this story play out and to see where it takes Andy, Niall, Booker, and the others. It's a gorgeous looking comic. Greg Rucka is a master storyteller. I love the old guard. I'm giving Force Multiplied number five a buy it. You know, I didn't think about it, and we'll talk about it later when we watch, when we talk about the movie. Casey watched it with me, but she was like, so this is sort of like, what if Wonder Woman was in the real world? And, and part of me was like, yeah, I really kind hadn't of. thought about it like that. But yeah, this book's a f- fucking fantastic. And Leandro Fernandez does not do enough work. He just doesn't. The guy is so friggin' talented. He's perfect for a book like this. It's super violent when it needs to be. It's super clean when it needs to be. He puts so much emotion in every panel. And like you said, Greg Rucka loves the lore of his own stories and fleshes them out. It's airtight. It, the, the story is perfect. Huge buy it from me. The thing that I appreciate most, I think, about Greg Rucka is that it's easy to look at a book that he writes and pick out a single character as the main protagonist. Like, it's easy to look at this and go, oh, Andy's the main character. Right. But really, every character in this book is equally important, and he gives equal time to all of them. Yeah. The the way that he fleshes out the the relationships between all of them, uh, and especially Joe and Nikki. Yeah. Yeah, like, and we'll talk about we'll talk about that when the movie comes up. But like, he's just so thoughtful in how he develops every character in this book, and I just I can't get enough of it. Well, it's not even a character piece; it's a story of why these characters are all connected. That's right. the story, and it man, it's fantastic. Love it. Yep. Too bad the Netflix movie sucks so bad. My it next was terrible. <laughs> my next review is Engine Ward, which is one word. I kept spacing it like Engine Ward. But it's engine word, like we're on our way to the engine or something. Like I don't know. Forward. <laughs> yeah. Number one from Vault. It's written by George Mann with art by Joe Eisma. This seems to be the story of those left behind on a dying planet when all the rich folks took to the stars in search of a new home. There's a lot of future slang like Oert, which I believe is also the name of the planet. They're like, oh, thank Oert. You're okay. So I, I think that it means Earth, right? I guess. And things like Zodiles. <laughs> the story follows a small commune scraping by in the face of a water shortage, but it breaks for a bit to show us a group of Zodiac-themed people living in luxury and then snaps back to the poor people in Dirt Town. There's a lot of dialogue here, but not a lot of setup. I'm not asking to have the whole world laid out in the first issue, but Man's script spends quite a bit of time with light conversation (laughs) rather than introducing us to the world. Eisma's art is good. It's a little inconsistent at times with some facial expressions. There just wasn't enough here to grab me, though. The world is fine. There's some dinosaur-looking monsters, and it seems like the creative team is hinting this might be Earth in the future. I can't help but compare this to the Protector book from Image I reviewed back in January. Writer Simon Roy, or Waugh perhaps, set up a similar far future Earth, but did a better job pulling the reader into the story with even less dialogue. This wasn't bad. 
but I'm just not sure what the Zodiac people have to do with the people in Dry Dirt Town. Are they the ones in the ship that left? It's hard to know. This team has talent and maybe building to something. I just wasn't hooked by what I read in the first issue. I'm giving it a skim it. Yeah, this did not grab me at all, and it was the exact same problem that I had with the de- with the Devil's Highway from last week, where it's like, you could have cut out half of the extra crap right. in this book and used it to build the story and, and build the world yes. so that I actually understood what was happening. And you could drop a little bit here and there. That's fine. It's not. We don't need to meet every character and, and get some quick no, dialogue from all. them and hear them say funny, weird new or slang or whatever uh, like they called the captain cap'n and uh instead of golem they call robots ghoulums yeah by the end of it i was so done yeah just like it it just gets very eye-rolly after a while yeah (laughs) but this this really didn't hook me at all like it's not bad it isn't bad um i don't really i'm not a huge fan of joe eisma but his work is fine i'm giving this a skim it uh I don't want to give it a leave it because I didn't hate it. I just no. didn't care about it. And like they obviously are building something here. There's a story without a doubt. It, it just like you got to grab me and rope me in here. And I'm not yeah, saying lay it all out. I don't need, you know, a page of text. Like it is the year. No, no, no. 3,900 or something, you know, like you don't need to do it, but build it out a little more. You know? Yeah. It just it it didn't do enough to get me interested in the plot. Yeah. And so I'm probably not going to pick up number two. Fair enough. Our final review of the week goes to Snake Eyes, colon, Dead Game, number one from IDW. I would argue our biggest review of the week, too. Our biggest. Wow. Our biggest and somehow also shortest (laughs) review of the week. Oh, this one really blew the doors off the roof, as I like to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Snake Eyes, Dead Game. Uh, Poor, poor Chad Bowers. Uh, was brought into script a completely paint-by-number story by Rob Liefeld about a resurrected immortal warrior with Snake Eyes being the only one that can stand in his way, except for when the rest of the G.I. Joe team shows up to help Right? Him. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it's like, only you, Snake Eyes. You're the only one for this mission. They and spend then five minutes lot... later, there's Scarlet and Roadblock they and G.I. Joe. They spend a lot of time stressing the fact that it's like, you're the dude. You've got to do this. You're the guy. <laughs> it's too dangerous. And then they show up and they're like, we don't trust you. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I thought now I was that the guy. Killed... <laughs> you know? Now that you've killed the ninjas, we're here to help. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there is a novelty to Liefeld's artwork that makes it at least a little bit fun to look at, I guess. Uh, but it really does not hold up under real scrutiny. Uh, I know that it's pretty cliche to bash on Rob these days, but after reading this, I cannot say it isn't deserved. This comic book is terrible. I'm giving Snake Eyes Dead Game number one a leave it. It's bad. It's bad. Don't read it. It's bad. So when I reviewed, I want to say it was what if number six, like what if Wolvie was an agent of yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yes. That artwork is great. That artwork is great. It's way better than what we get here, but the story is virtually the same. We need a super badass to come in and do this badass thing who's not going to have any trouble the whole time because he's so badass. And that had its place in the late 80s and the early 90s. Rob Liefeld is still doing it. He's still doing it, yeah. And... Uh it does not work here. His art is not as good as it used to be. This feels like he, and look, I'm not an artist. 
and I don't like bagging on people's talent, but this does not feel like he put very much effort into it at all. It's just it. It's so much. It's so much posing. Yes, and almost zero actual storytelling. Right, and and truthfully, not a lot of action either. There's like two and a half fights in this book that take up the entire issue. You know, and look, man. So give your give your rating real quick, and I have one last thing. To I'm say. giving it a leave. It. it it's just yeah. this is something that like. Again, I'm not trying to bag on Rob Leefield. He does what he does, look, but he's been doing the same thing since 1988, and, and I'm there over are, it. There are people that love the guy unironically. I know, and I I get it. I'm over it, and I I, I just you know I, it's like you know what? When I was 18, I was a huge Kevin Smith fan. Sure, and now I go back and I watch Chasing Amy and I watch Dogma, and I'm like Ugh, garbage. Boy, they are garbage. What a, well, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> so here's, this is a little bit of inside baseball for you guys. We, we enjoy uh, the privilege of getting review copies from IDW. Uh, thank you, IDW. We appreciate it. I opened up the file. <laughs> Sorry, we just bashed your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I opened up the file for this issue, Snake Eyes Dead Game number one, and it was 77 pages long. And I thought, oh, no, what have I done? Nope. 41 of those pages were covers. Yes. 41 covers. I believe technically there are 36 variant covers and the rest are black and white versions of the other variant uh, well, covers. Well, so there are there are a number of covers that you could order through your specific comic shop and then the rest of them were retailer exclusive covers yep. specific to certain comic shops. There's also San Diego and, Comic-Con versions yeah, as well. And they, I, like I I kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And oh, by yeah. the time I got to page like 45, I was exhausted. <laughs> and it's just a character like and, Snake Eyes. Look, this is a, a beloved G.I. Joe character. He is the, wol- he's the Wolverine of G.I. Joe. It's and true. there is no reason why you couldn't give this character to the current team on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for example, and sure. get an amazing, well-written, fun to read book. This is 90s schlock. This is easy. Yeah. This is paint by numbers, completely predictable bullshit. I'm giving it a leave it. Yeah. And like n- none of that stuff about the covers is a dig on the actual work of the, of the creators. No, 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 no. That was not necessarily their choice. There are some kick-ass covers in there too, but it just, it just kind of points to the fact that everything about this was a gimmick. Yeah. It didn't work at all. Our shortest review. I think that took 10 minutes. <laughs> and I was our, uh, if you look at what I wrote, it's actually <laughs> much longer than what I wrote. We had a lot of feelings. Bacroc! That is it for your new comic reviews this weekend. Bacroc is the sound made by a sensible, comfortable shoe thrown by Porcadillo to distract <laughs> the evil Julian Olsen as seen in the pages of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number 12. Uh, this onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by myself, Joe Patrick. If you want to submit your own onomatopoeia of the week, please post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, call us, make the noise, tell us where it came from, and we will play it on the show. Whew, now that we're done with reviews, it's time to head up to THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where this week... 
we're not only gazing into the penance stare of ex-ghost writer Noble Kale, we are sharing his skull to shoot each other with it to help us make our must-read picks for next Wednesday, July 22nd. Joe Patrick, stop crying and tell me what your pick is for next week. By the way, Noble can, Kale, uh, deep cut. Yeah, I could see all those naughty things you did Ugh, <laughs> when you were alone. Oh, good Lord. Uh, my pick for next week is Chu, number one, that's C-H-U, from Image Comics, written by John Lehman with art by Dan Boltwood. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. The first course, part one. Tony, Tony Chu is a Chibopath. <laughs> Able to get psychic impressions <laughs> from what he eats. Tony too is a Chibo <laughs> Tony, Tony, bleh. Saffron Chew is a Chibo Pars. Able to learn secrets from who she eats with. Oh, Lord. Tony is a cop. Saffron is a criminal. They are brother and sister, and oh. they are on a collision course. Spinning out of the multiple Eisner Award-winning and New York Times best-selling series Chew with an EW comes Chew with a U. A felonious new food noir about cops, crooks, cooks, and clairvoyance. You might be asking yourself, Joe Patrick, didn't you hate the ending of Chew? You were mad. The answer is yes, yeah, you, I did, and I was mad. You brought it up several times. Uh, however, I did love it all the way up until the end. <laughs> is this, do you think that this is John Lehman trying to redeem himself? No, I think John Lehman said from from the start that he had more than one story to tell in this universe. Uh, he said at the end of the of the main series that there would probably be more. Uh, it's just that he is done telling the story of Tony Chu. He's just not done telling stories in the Chu universe. Fair enough. Chu universe. I mean, look, yeah. If it takes a taste of the final issue out of my mouth, then yeah, no pun intended. I want more. My pick for next week. Is Vlad Dracul. Number one from Scout Comics. It's written by Andrea Moody and Matteo Strukel. I'm going to go with that. Who sounds like he could also be a vampire. With art <laughs> by Andrea Moody. It is 64 pages for $6.99. Here's your solicit. Vlad Dracul II, the Impaler, the son of the dragon, was a warlord, a voivod. What is that word? A what? A voivod. There's a death metal band called Voivod. I didn't know if it was actually a word. I just thought it, like, sounded tough and cool. <laughs> a guardian warrior, an iconic historical figure who was able to successfully strike fear into the hearts of the fearsome Ottoman Empire. Vlad is an epic story of love and war, a historical ride with rivers of blood, tears, swords, and a love and discovery of man that was, perhaps the most famous warrior of his era that inspired the Dracula legends. This is the story of the man behind the myth. So we'll see. They may be going full vampire with this. They may not. I truly love the history of Vlad the Impaler and everything around it that went into Dracula and stuff like that. I love Andre Moody's pencils and I've read some stuff that he has said about this. He's super excited for this comic book. And I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Heavy into it. I hope so, because it's a lot of pages. It's 64 pages. I mean, they're telling a big story here. It's a big historical thing. Come on. All right. 
so if you Google the word Voivod, all that comes up is stuff about the Canadian uh, heavy metal band. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Joe if, you Patrick, dig a little, if you dig, they are a technical death metal band, not a heavy metal all right. band. All right, thank you. All right, that's fine. Uh, but if you dig a little deeper, Wikipedia describes Voivod with an E at the end as a Slavic term denoting a warlord. Oh, there you or go. War leader in Central, Eastern, and Southern Europe. Okay. Uh, during the early Middle Ages and the Byzantine Empire. That would make sense. There we go. Yeah, totes. Tell me about the trade of the week, Joe. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics. This is from 10 Speed Press. It's written and drawn by Tom Scioli. It's 208 pages from tw- uh, for $28.99. Here is your solicit. Is there anybody better to do this job than Tom Scioli? So. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> so maybe perfect. Ed Pisker, but yeah. It's so perfect. <laughs> This sweeping full-color comic book biography tells the complete life story of Jack Kirby, co-creator of some of the most enduring superheroes and villains of the 20th century for Marvel, DC, and more. Tom Scioli breathes visual life into Kirby's life story from his days growing up during the Great Depression to his time on the front lines of World War II and on to his world-changing collaborations at Marvel with Stan Lee. Just as every great superhero needs a villain to overcome, Kirby's story also includes his struggles to receive the recognition and compensation that he believed his work deserved, drawn from an unparalleled imagination and a life as exciting as his comic book tales. Kirby's super creations have influenced subsequent generations of creatives. Readers can experience the life and times of the comics titan through the medium that made him famous. Apparently, and I did not know this, uh, Tom Scioli told a lot of this story in Instagram form. Really? Like in a dedicated Instagram account about it. And I've read people saying that they have been waiting years for this to come out as oh, a hard, as a no book. Oh shit. I did not know that. I, I'm Me neither. Totally down. hundred uh, percent into yeah, this. Yes. Same here. Uh, now there was some debate online about when this actually came out. I do believe that it did finally ship uh, to everyone today. So you should be able to pick this up in your comic shop right now if they didn't already get it earlier this month. Um, everything, you know, obviously being up in the air did a yeah. diamond shenanigans, but... I'm waiting I, on a Thor t-shirt from SuperheroStuff.com right now that should have come like <laughs> two and three weeks ago. God damn it. Uh, but I cannot wait to get my hands on this book. Uh, like, I couldn't be more excited to read. This is the sort of thing where, like, if Box Brown was like, I'm going to put out a comic book about Tetris. I'm going to put out a graphic novel about Andy Kaufman. Yeah. I'd be like, yes, absolutely. Totally. And then Tom Scioli's like, fuck that. I've got a full color illustrated biography of Jack Kirby fighting <laughs> Nazis. <laughs> Hell yes. Give it to me now. Yeah. I can't think of a better lunatic to have this job. Go to your comic shop, pre-order these titles. Let us know what you are reading. Tell us if you think these titles are a complete waste of our time and we should be reading something else. We want to hear from you. What are you guys reading? Hit us up on the THN forums, Facebook, Twitter. We're all over the damn place. And we want to hear from you, goddammit. This past Friday saw the premiere of Greg Rucka's The Old Guard as a Netflix original movie, so it only seems right for Matt and I to do our Siskel and Ebert impressions. That's right. It's time for 
Nerd at the movies. There the was, old guard edition. There was a theme to that show. I just can't think of it. <laughs> for some reason. I don't think we ever had a theme for it. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean like the Siskel and Ebert show. At oh, the well, movies, yeah. yeah. At the movies, we'll right. have to find that. Whatever. Uh, so we are going to probably get into some light spoiler territory, but we'll try to keep main plot points to a minimum. So we both watched this, and I think we both had very similar reactions in the end but what were you expecting from the comic book to the screen how did you feel about this i mean let, let's just get like overall feeling out of the way like personally i was shocked how close i mean there were some changes that were definitely made and we'll talk about that but i was yeah. shocked as to how much of the comic book made it directly to the screen in yeah, this like movie. word for word. Almost, right? Yes, I was very impressed at how faithful it stayed uh, to the source material, which is, of course, helped by Rucka being the one that wrote the screenplay for the yeah. movie. Which um, I love that. when, Like, there is no reason, whenever we make a comic book movie like this, I get it if you're making a Spider-Man movie or you're making a... Yeah, it, there's not like one guy to go to. I get that, you know, but when it's somebody's creation and they did it all, why do we not go get that creator and say, you are writing the movie, sir, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, like if you're going to if you're gonna make an Invincible movie... Right. ...and you don't call Kirkman first, you're an asshole. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All you're saying is like, look, we get it, kid. You're great, but we know what the people want. Get, here's a check. Right. Get the hell out of here. You know, we'll right, you right. see what you see. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I was. So uh, let me back it up. First off, before I saw the movie, I saw some um, pre-release reviews from people that I follow online who weren't as thrilled with it. And I was like, "Uh oh, that doesn't bode well. But then I actually watched the movie. I watched the movie uh, the same day as I caught up on the entire series, both volumes. So did I. In like one day. And. So like it was fresh in my mind and I turned on the movie that night and I was thrilled by how closely it matched the original source material. Totally. Not just that, but like even the way the action scenes very much paid attention to the way Fernandez drew the action in the comics. I'm not saying there was like scene for scene, you know, like, and then she kills this dude with an ax this way or something, but the, but the way that they did the action, the point of view and stuff like that, they looked at these comics and they definitely oh, storyboarded it, this movie straight out of the book. I, I, I actually want to give extra credit to the cinematographer uh, and the director, because there are things that they did in this movie with the fight choreography oh that you just can't really replicate in comics. Yeah. Like, uh, I was super impressed with the way these immortal characters fought together. Yes. Like as a unit. And they didn't, they didn't talk about it. They didn't dwell on it. They didn't, there were like, there was no scene where, you know, Niall, the new girl was like, holy cow, you guys are really, uh, really good at this no it's like you look at it you watch it and it's all in the it's all in the action right you can see that these characters have been fighting together side by side for so long for hundreds of years right like they've developed that, techniques that are just ridiculous where they can just yeah, mow and, through people 
Right. And it's, it's such, it's like a ballet, but it's also nothing is wasted. One of the things that I love about this, the fight choreography in this movie and the fight choreography in movies like the raid and John wick and man of Tai Chi is they don't waste anything. They're not doing anything for professional wrestling moves. You know, where like, holy shit, he flipped that guy upside down, kicked him six times, and then spun him around on his finger and flicked him out a window. Like, no, it's like everything they do is this economy of violence. I want to inflict the most amount of damage to the person I'm fighting as fast as possible. Because even though I'm immortal, we have a job to do. And right. you literally mean nothing to me. What you're doing right. is not offensive. You are in my way, and I'm about to mow through you. And man. Yeah, yeah. I just need to get past you. Right. Yeah, I, I, that was like one of the most, that was one of the most striking things about the movie to me was how the characters moved as one. And that's it. And then, and they, it was like, it was treated like an afterthought. They didn't. Totally. They didn't like spend a ton of time pointing it out or calling attention to it. They just did it. Not just that. And, I like, and I don't want to come off sounding sexist. And that's not what I'm trying to do. But I feel like in a lot of female driven action movies, they will sometimes dial down a little bit of the fight choreography for the actress that is there. But they did not at no. all here. No. Charlize Theron no. and Kiki Lane did the work like put in the hard work and like yeah there's a scene where they're in a plane fighting each other like the first time they've really met that is absolutely brutal and amazing just amazing yeah. and it, it's this perfect mix of effects and fight choreography and not just not just that theron she is who she is and she's built like a truck and she looks like someone that could mess anyone up that she came into contact with and Kiki Lane is not a little girl either. She looks like a Marine. She looks like a badass, fleshed out Marine. She's got big shoulders. She's got biceps. Like, she could fuck you up. Yeah. I mean, this is Furiosa, right? This is well, I'm, Furiosa from Char Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, like, like Charlie Sheeran is. no joke. She has done this before, definitely. But it's refreshing right. to see it. Like, Kiki Lane... Her, she is, when we first meet her, she's a Marine and we meet like the other women in, that are in her group and they are also badasses. And I like that yeah. they didn't cast a bunch of wave, beautiful waif models in these roles. They cast strong women that look like they could fuck you up if you get in their way, <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, that, and let, that's, that's another thing we can move on to is the cast. Like Char Charlize Theron is obviously the biggest name in the movie. And like uh, uh, Kiki Lane, I'm sure is a name that we'd only know if because you looked it up. Like I don't know who any of the other people are in this movie. Uh, <laughs> oh, except for Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yeah, who is uh, who played who played Copley? Um, Kiki oh, Lane is <laughs> very young. She's coming up. Like she's been in, she's done some TV stuff. She was in like Chicago Med and sure. Beale Street Could Talk and stuff like that. Um, I also, uh, I, I got a real big kick out of the main villain being, uh, Harry Potter's cousin Dudley. Yeah, it was Dursley Dudley. From and, the I, and I called it out. I was like, Casey, is that, and I, I can't remember the name of like the, the portly kid. He, he's, his name is Dudley. He's, no, but the, Dudley I, Dursley. I thought it was the other kid that was like in the school. Yeah. Like Malfoy's, uh, 
crony, right? No, no, no. He was a good guy. He was a good guy. He was kind of a fat. Oh, kid, Neville Longbottom. I thought it was Neville at first. And oh, Kate, no, no, no. And Casey was like, "That's not Neville. That's Dudley." <laughs> and I was like, yeah, "God yeah. damn, Dudley looks great." <laughs> oh yeah, and he was awesome. In he was this. really he was good. awesome. He's got uh, kind of the wonk guy still, but you know, I mean, hey, yeah, it well, works for him. Hey, whatever. Uh, I, I thought this movie was so well cast. Um, the the actors is that they got to play the uh, other immortals yeah. were wonderful. Especially, I thought uh, Joe and Nikki, who are in the comic, a couple. Yeah. And there is a scene uh, that's lifted straight out of the comic, where um, Joe, I think, is is the is the guy's name, uh, describes his relationship to Nikki after they'd been captured. Uh, by the bad guy's henchmen. Well, you should flash back and mention, like, he was, Joe was a crusader, like, for the no, Catholic Church. he was Church. like a Muslim. He was a Moor or Oh, whatever. I'm sorry. Joe was a Muslim. Guy, Nikki and, was a crusader. And Nikki was a crusader and, like, sent to kill him. And they met on yeah. the battlefield and fell in love when they realized we can't kill each other. <laughs> yeah, they, they had killed each other over and over and over again and then just, like, bonded. Yeah. Uh, and and they'd been together for a thousand years, and their relationship is so much more than like we're boyfriends. Yeah. And that scene in the movie, it's so touching. Yeah. And then there's a great moment again lifted from the comic where after they dis- after uh, Joe describes the relationship, it cuts away, and the next time you look inside the van, uh, they had murdered all of those guys <laughs> with their hands tied behind their backs. Uh, so yeah, I I was super impressed by how closely it stuck to the source. Uh, they did add some things here and there. Uh, most of it worked. Some of it I didn't love. Like there's a twist that they reveal about something going on with Andy uh, that is not in the comic, and I didn't feel like it was necessary. And I don't know where they're going with it. Right. In the movie compared to in the comic. And no spoilers Especially here. Especially considering what happens in the sequel comic. Yeah. Like, so I don't know if they're going to, I mean, I, I don't know even how to talk about it without spoiling things. I'll just say, I don't know where they're going to go with this. And we're definitely going to get more of it. This, I kept waiting for them to reveal that it wasn't actually what we thought. And they never did. I kind of did too. Like, oh, we're going to find out it's not, it's this or whatever. And like, oh, really? But yeah. I mean, we'll see. And I have a feeling yeah, we'll see. Rucka is writing this. So maybe he's doing something that he wished he would have done in the comics. And this was a huge hit. We're going to get more of it. My one complaint. I could not stand the soundtrack. I thought the music they chose was almost bizarre in some you know what i didn't even notice what do you mean there was like 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 actual songs yes like the actual songs like when they would try and go into like some of these moments where like kiki kiki lane's character niall is having like this moment where she's like realizing who she is and you get this like dubstep ballad you know (laughs) it just it just didn't work at all and 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 I kept like it took me out of a couple scenes. It's like, God, this is really the music we're gonna use for this part. Like, I it just I didn't get it. 
it was fine. I that's get funny. it. This is what Hollywood looks like in action scenes now. Sure. That's fine. But it almost got like a little too fast and furious with some of the like sweet <laughs> parts. And I, I, I ugh, that was my only complaint. The rest of this. I, I have to admit, I didn't even notice. I loved it. I, I'm giving this like a huge watch it. I, I, oh, yeah. I love the Greg Rucka worked directly on this got credit is getting paid for this he should yeah he's written an amazing comic book he's done an incredible job bringing to to the screen and i hope i hope that netflix is going to bring the same sensibility to the stuff they do with mark miller's books with i mean obviously the umbrella academy was a huge hit and they know what they've got on their hands there and they're letting that story tell itself so I'm happy to see that Netflix is respecting the creators, bringing their vision to the screen, and making them a part of it. This was fantastic. I agree. It's a huge watch it for, for me as well. And, you know, I, I, one of the things that I read online beforehand was like, this should have been a show, not a movie. But I watched that movie. It's like 90 minutes and change. Yeah. No, no, it's two hours. It was two hours. It was two, it was two hours and like. Two hours and 20 minutes. Hours, it was, it was like two hours and five minutes. And I was like, you know what? This was everything. This was everything that I needed from the original miniseries and more. Yeah. Like they set up stuff from the second volume that I wasn't even expecting them to touch. Well, I really and like, I think that Greg Rucka likes telling stories like that in big chunks like look at the way he's doing lazarus now he's no longer yeah. doing a monthly series with it and lazarus is also coming to netflix as i understand or is it amazon i think it's netflix i don't remember i can't remember but he likes telling stories like that and i think this was a fun chance for him to be like yeah i want to see if i can crush this into one good solid narrative two plus hours and then i'll do another one two plus hours it doesn't all need to be a show it definitely doesn't yeah i it was it was a great like saturday night yeah viewing experience i loved it really well i can't wait for the next one casey loved it as well loved it so yeah absolutely huge watch it we want to know what you guys thought of the old guard hit us up you can always find us at our facebook page on our twitter on the THN forums, which is where the heady smart kids like to go. But we would love to hear what you thought. Tell us about it this week on THN Cover to Cover. You can call us at 402-819-4894 and give us your thoughts live this Saturday. We'll tell you more in just a minute. Excelsior! That is it for Two-Headed Nerd episode 581 Next week, Willie Toots is back to review another Marvel movie spectacular of yore and compare it to the original film. This time, it's the Willow edition of Toots Time. Willow! (laughs) I just ordered a a projector and a screen that I'm going to set up outside so I can have a drive-in movie theater in my backyard that I'm calling the Starlight Theater. We're watching Willow this weekend. It's going to be awful. I can't wait. Willow Willow was one of the first things I watched on (laughs) Disney Plus when it came out, and I loved it. It still holds up. Until then, Joe Patrick, I need a new question of the week for these nerds. This week's question was submitted by Jason Sachs via the THN forums. What's a media favorite that you once loved but just slowly lost interest in? 
maybe a comic which started at the top of your read list but drifted toward the bottom or a TV show whose first few seasons you loved but which you ignored when a new season dropped or even a book series for which you suddenly realized there were multiple books you hadn't read even though you used to read them as soon as they came out. What are those items and why do you think you lost interest? Here's an example from Jason. His wife loved the first few seasons of Grey's Anatomy, but when they started replacing characters, she slowly lost interest. She'd watch a few episodes, find herself looking at her Facebook instead of watching the show, and finally decided to just give up. It's a question about falling out of love. We want to know falling how it happens. Uh, we're all out of love. Yeah. We're so lost without you. <laughs> no, no, no. We're not so lost. That's the sad part. I, I, that's, I suppose we that's just fell out uh, of love. Cover to cover. We fooled around and fell in love. <laughs> we felt like making love? Yeah, no, I mean, at the time. Yeah, but not so much okay. anymore. <laughs> cover to Cover is back, and it is the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. You could and will be internet famous. Please, and I know that we are terrible about enforcing this, please keep it to two minutes or less. We've got a lot of people we need to get through every week. We appreciate all of you, and we want to get to all of you. Speaking of which, while I'm talking to you guys on the show, if I see people calling in, I'm going to cut that person off. I'm going to shorten it and cut it off. Nobody calling in, we're going to talk. So that's on you guys. Yeah, sure. If you're trolling, you're sitting there, call us. I will cut that jerk off. I'll be like, JD, get the hell out of here. There's some new guy that wants to talk, all right? If you're new to this show. It probably won't be a new guy. It'll probably be Brian Dominguez. It could be. <laughs> if you're new to this show and you would rather get called a peck for the rest of your life than listen racist. to any more. It's not racist, it's sizest, all right? I get it a lot, so I understand. Mm. I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. We want to thank donors our favorite local artist, Tim Mayer, who I happen to know. No business donating to the show. He is not a wealthy man, Tim. You need to make better decisions. I'm going to take your money. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, you, stop you need to grow up and make better decisions, sir. All right? <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to writer Alan Moore, who's got to be having a pretty frustrating week. After hearing about DC's latest decision to keep mining his work for all it's worth, word to you, you cranky old wizard. Hey, side shout out to Jimmy Randall. Today is his birthday. That's right. You know what? I used to give shout outs to our birthday people. You told me it wasn't interesting enough. It's so I not, but that dude farts more than anyone else that calls the show. So, you know what I mean? Like he, he needs everything. He's a gassy guy, Joe. <laughs> Maybe that's fine in Australia. I don't know. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just hold you down and fart on you. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.